Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette. Discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free. <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Greetings, listeners. You are listening to Movie Oubliette, the continental-spanning podcast with me, Dan, entering into beat battles down here in Melbourne, Australia. (laughs) And me, Conrad, surrounded by boxes in Cambridge, UK. (laughs) Exciting, though. In this podcast, Mm. we deliberate over genre films, horror, sci-fi, and fantasy because we love rubber monster suits. B-grade acting, and most importantly, the backstory of a car crash film. Conrad. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. So what's this you're entering? Oh, beat battles. So last year there, there were a few um, musicians and, and YouTubers I've been following that have opened up challenges, like remix challenges and, and sort of sample flip beat battles. And yeah, so I've entered a couple of those recently oh wow and it's you know it's it just hones my skills and in, in music production and remixing and making music you know it's fun yeah it sounds like the good old days on hit record when we used to remix each other a lot yes yes uh yeah. except there are <laughs> i don't know there's more involvement uh with these yeah. these battles and and because it's also live streamed when they listen to all the entries as well you get like really quite constructive feedback from um quite renowned um producers and musicians so it's uh if anything it's it's great growth uh for yeah for music production for me oh fantastic that sounds really exciting yeah i'm not winning anything by the way (laughs) (laughs) but um, i'm entering and that's what matters yeah you've got to participate haven't you yeah sounds good and you're gearing up for your big move? I am, yes. My big move, one mile down the road. <laughs> yes. It seems ridiculous to have to go through so many trials and tribulations just to sh- shuffle down the road by a mile. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it is a larger property with a larger garden, and I have my eye on a spot in the garden for a uh, podcast garden studio. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so... Exciting times, yes, but hellish at the moment because I'm surrounded <laughs> by boxes and temporary clothes, rails, and crap. And right, ugh, yeah, hate it. <laughs> but yeah, once the move is over, you're going to be basking in your new location. Yes, so yeah, look out for new room tones that you'll have to remove <laughs> when you're mixing the final versions. Oh of no. Our podcast. <laughs> But I've kept the same mixing chain for the last, what, three years? (laughs) Three years, yeah. Sorry, you're going to have to change it. I'd like to keep you on your toes. All right, all right, all right. So, Conrad, have our listeners been keeping us on our toes, speaking to us in our socials? They have indeed. And we have a new patron, Kevin from Planet X. (laughs) Oh, Hello, Kevin. I love that username. Hello. He also got in touch with us on Rain of Fire, saying, I remember leaving the theatre underwhelmed by rain. I enjoyed it, but the feeling didn't linger past the end credits. The concept of placing a fantasy trope in a realistic setting is done pretty well here. Certainly better than Bright, at least. Mm -hmm. That's a good comparison, actually. I hadn't thought of that. Rain, however, appears to have grown into relevance with the 2020s being isolating and fraught with an environmental crisis brought on by modernity. I prefer my monster movies with some allegory, and now that Rain has stumbled upon one, it's (laughs) worth dragging out of the oubliette. Very good point. Yes, Yes, that's that's a very uh, apt observation, especially knowing that you'd seen it when it came out to how it uh, sort of fears now. That's uh, really interesting mm-hmm. because, yeah, I didn't watch it when it came out, so maybe it would have no. been 
completely meaningless at the time. Yeah, probably. So, yeah, really interesting take on it. Thanks, mm-hmm. Kevin. And welcome aboard. We also heard from Artem SFX, the company that did the Dragon. Oh. <laughs> the Dragon Corpse that we were praising. And they retweeted it as a throwback Thursday and said, well, there's a blast from the past. <laughs> ah, nice. So, yeah, so that was fun. On Paper House, we heard from uh, Damsel in the Dollhouse, which is another great <laughs> username. Love these usernames. Yeah. And uh, she said, I love this movie. This is such a treat. So that's nice to know that there oh, are other wow. people out there yes. that have seen it. There seem to be. Yeah. And when we mentioned that our special guest was Bernard Rose, filmmaker and previous guest Sarah Daly. <laughs> hey, Sarah. Yeah. She said, Legend. Obviously, somebody that she holds in high regard. Mm, yeah, probably saw it as a kid, the same as you. Yeah, probably. Paul Anderson got in touch and said, really enjoyed the episode. I continue to be amazed at the guests you managed to get. So do I. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I mean, that was a blast. And yes, Arrow or whoever needs to source that file for a new Blu-ray. I've always loved this film. And like yourself, uh, Conrad, I guess, I caught it on TV when young, but also had an ex-rental VHS of it as well. The BBC Mm. did a radio version of it a while back, but did not have the same feel as the film for obvious reasons. The film rests on the lead actor's shoulders and the set design, and both are amazing. Mm. Yeah. Would agree with that. So thanks, Paul. And finally, we heard from Surge of Cold Crash Pictures. (laughs) Hello, Surge. Hello, Surge. In response to our announcement that we now have hats, blankets and shower curtains available (laughs) at Redbubble. (laughs) So if you want to snuggle up with us in bed or have a shower with us staring at you, then now you can. I'm shaking my Um, head. (laughs) I know, it's not great, is it? Uh, Serge said, you'll do suit separates? I want a movie oubliette cummerbund. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Would that look good though? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure it would I'm not sure it would look great. I'm sure Serge would look great in a cummerbund. In fact, I'm fairly certain he's posted an image of himself in a tux with cummerbund, and I think he looked very dashing. So, right. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for getting in touch. Mm, we always you. love hearing from you. Yes, we do. Well, I suppose we'd better give them something else to talk about, Dan. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, let's see. Just walking down towards the oubliette. Oh, oh these very muddy men Ooh. stomping around, making very odd noises, I might add. I was going to say, is that you, Dan? <laughs> Have you got indigestion? <laughs> Not that I know of. Okay, got it. Uh-oh, Duke's mad now, Mook. Oh, I'm glad you closed the hatch. I'm not sure whether there was any smell, just very odd noises. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you have for us? Well, today we are going to be discussing a uh, apparently very notorious movie, Spookies. <laughs> oh. It came out in 1986, uh, directed by... Jeannie Joseph, Thomas Doran, and Brendan Faulkner. Uh, we'll, we'll get into uh, those particulars in the discussion. Uh, written by <laughs> Thomas Doran, uh, Frank M. Farrell, Brendan Faulkner, and uh, additional material from Joseph Bergen. And it stars Anthony Vibero, Nick Giornata, uh, Lisa Frieda, Joan Allen, Peter Dane, Dan Scott, Alex Nemzer, Maria Petrukas, Felix Ward, and I think I'll just stop there. A very big cast. Yeah, uh, none of whom I have heard of, but there we go. Mm, yes. <laughs> and what happens? Well, this film starts as we follow young Billy, who inadvertently ends up in an abandoned mansion. He enters a room decorated by pitifully blown up balloons hanging from the ceiling, supposedly for his birthday. After opening a box with a severed head, he is chased by a meowing demon slash zombie slash vampire creature with a hook for a hand and is rather slowly 
buried alive. Oh. We never refer back to Billy ever again. So the film seems to start <laughs> again with a bunch of unlikely friends who chance on the same abandoned mansion and proceed to throw the dullest party ever. <laughs> an assortment of completely unrelated monsters pick them off one by one while an almost unconnected subplot involving an old guy and his dead bride unfolds unbeknownst to any of the other characters. More <laughs> nonsense continues until all the main characters are gone and we are left with the undead bride who runs around for 10 minutes, chased by zombies that appear out of nowhere. The end. Right. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Let's get into it, Conrad. Yeah. Well, thank goodness we have a special guest who may be able to help us figure this thing out. Yes, we do need that help, I think. <laughs> we do. Okay. After the break. Yeah. We are very excited to welcome back today an encyclopedically knowledgeable and enlighteningly insightful horror journalist. She's the head critic and chief content creator for Bloody Disgusting and co-host of the Bloody Disgusting podcast, returning champion Megan Navarro. Hello! Hey. <laughs> Hello, thank you so much. Welcome back. Thank you for having me back. Well, thank you for coming back. You were with us last year for our Halloween special where we were celebrating the anniversary of the Night of the Living Dead remake mm. which was really fun yes. how have you been since then how are things for you ah the whirlwind really i mean <laughs> you think that our situation would have moved on and we'd get back to normal and yeah but no it's not and i'm still swamped as ever somehow mm. i remember this was a busy time of year for you and it still is it's yeah it's like now everything is getting dumped onto streaming all at once. Right. So it's just the content is overwhelming these days. Yeah. Mm. Is there anything that you would recommend to us? Let's see. Uh, across three continents, it's a little tricky. Um, <laughs> I know everybody's excited for Halloween Kills. Mm. I... Just saw Titan, and if you are a big fan of Julia DeCorno's Raw, then I highly recommend Titan. Right. Oh. So that's definitely one that to keep an eye out for. Sounds good. Mm. So after we finished recording the last episode, we were just chatting, and you happened to mention a film, and it's the one we're talking about today. Can you introduce us to it and give us some sort of scene setting for the production history? Who? Uh... Where to even begin? So, <laughs> Spookies. This was released in the US in 88. Um, I think it was released in other countries in the couple years leading up to its 88 release. And it's one of those types of rare movies where you watch it and you have no idea what you saw. There's there's it's a very confusing movie and it's it almost feels like an onslaught of creature effects for the heck of it. Um but the production history I think it easily overshadows the movie itself. So it's like you watch the movie and you don't know what you saw, but then the moment you start digging into the production history, then things start to click into place. Uh, in this case, it was a movie that uh, started out as Twisted Souls, directed by Brendan Faulkner and Thomas Duran, and they had met somebody very novice in film production, did not know what they were doing, said they had a lot of money, which their lot of money was not a lot uh, of money at all. Um, and so they really just kind of pulled together this ragtag team in New York, some very, very young makeup effects designers that are now well known, but there were probably like babies when this movie was made. Uh, and, and they made this overnight in this estate up New York. And then the producer, who had no experience, had no idea what he was doing and didn't like what he saw and started to get nervous and started to interfere more and more. And the next thing you know, the directors are out and Eugenie Joseph is in who also did not have a lot of experience, except she had made her break in softcore porn. 
Oh. So she is now the director. None of the cast wanted to come back because they were loyal. And so then she's creating all new footage and kind of outdoes them by like a minute or two on the footage, which means she gets prominent billing. And so you have these two warring halves of a movie. <laughs> Neither one makes sense. You put them together. It's a grab bag of weird, really. <laughs> so I think that's kind of the production in a nutshell. Mm. Yes. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> So, Dan, had you seen this before? No, no, I had never heard of this movie. And, yeah, my initial impression of the movie was, well, that was a movie, I guess. <laughs> and it just didn't make any sense. And, yeah, watching the documentary uh, behind the scenes with all the cast and crew, it really does make sense knowing that and all the bits that were added after make the movie much worse. Like there is a movie in there and there are moments where I thought, oh, this is actually quite amazing. This is, well, great effects. Like this is, you know, typical B-grade horror, but in a good way, like in a fun way. But then you get other bits with the weird old dead guy and his weird henchman that meows and has a hook for a hand. And it's just like, <laughs> what, what is this? <laughs> Yes, yeah, see, I deliberately didn't read anything about this or watch the documentary before I watched it because I wanted the pure virgin experience of Spookies. And actually pretty quickly, I was thinking, is this two movies that are like skipping on one disc or something? Because it's kind of like that thing where you quickly realise a movie you're watching is one of those supernatural psychological thrillers where you suddenly realize that some of the characters are ghosts so you're trying to figure out which ones you've actually seen interact with each other yeah. on screen and which ones are a figment of somebody's imagination that kind of thing because there's all these scenes where they're in the same location these two different casts but they just keep missing each other like yeah. one opens the door and there's somebody there and they close it and hide and the two casts never meet mm. and it's glaringly obvious after a while yes yeah and also the ending as well like knowing that is like ah. Oh. That's why the ending didn't make any sense. Why would you kill off all the characters and be left with a character that didn't interact with the previous characters at all? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the big question of the movie, though. Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is kind of baffling. I think stylistically, I think you can see they're two different films as well because yeah. trying to be kind, but... One of them looks like a well-shot, you know, it's an independent horror movie, but the cinematography looks great, the lighting looks great. Mm. And then you're intercutting with something that looks a little bit more garish and a bit more harsh and a bit like a Bonnie Tyler music video. Mm. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It does. So you can quickly spot the difference between the two. It doesn't help that the sort of... What's that guy's name? The old guy with Winona Ryder in a coffin. Uh, Creon. Yes. Right, yes. He feels kind of like a TV horror host. Mm. It just feels like something else completely. It kind of reminds me, I don't know if you saw like Spellcaster or some Charles Band like full moon production <laughs> bad guy that's mm. like, yeah, this is a different movie and you don't really fit with what's happening here. Yeah. Mm. So usually we start our discussions by talking about plot <laughs> and character arcs. Did anybody detect either? <laughs> uh, no. I, I think, I, I mean, I can tell you what one of them I think was attempting to go for, which is a good idea. Okay. Uh, does not convey it at all. <laughs> I mean, the one where you have the group of friends in a car who end up at this house the concept was they uncover this Ouija board that has all these trapped monsters. And the more that they play with the Ouija board, the more that they're letting loose these creatures from the board, which makes sense when you say it. But when you watch it, I don't pick that up at all. <laughs> no, I didn't really pick that up until maybe three quarters into the film. Yeah. When they were kind of zooming in on that, those little stickers on the board. Yes, the stickers. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I didn't pick, I just thought, did they just... Go to a effects studio and go, okay, what do you have? We'll just take everything <laughs> and put them in this movie. <laughs> you have 
have to wonder if Cabin in the Woods, the minds behind that movie saw Spookies before. Right. <laughs> because it has the same kind of spirit. It yes. It does. It does. But it has a plot, both, <laughs> which is yes. nice, you know, just as an accoutrement. Both of them obviously heavily influenced by the Evil Dead, I think. Mm. For sure. Well, Spookies film one, let's say. I think it was intended to be an Evil Dead clone funded by a British guy, Michael Lee, who ran a company called Vipco. Mm -hmm. And he started off pirating movies. This is back in the, the early days of VHS when anything goes. So he would just go to the British Film Library, hire a print dump it onto video and then release it. Oh, my goodness. He was caught. So he was in financial dire straits and went legit and launched Vipco. And they became well-known during the video nasty era for releasing all kinds, legitimately releasing lots of uncut, awful exploitation films and softcore porn. And finally got to the stage where they could bankroll productions in and of themselves. So, yeah, it's interesting how VHS created all of these opportunities for independent filmmakers. But unfortunately, in this case, subject to the nefarious intervention of the producers. Yep. <laughs> Who knew more about distribution than actual production? Yeah. Because you mentioned the nonsensical aspect of the monsters. I'd suspect maybe Michael Lee was involved in somehow cutting out the shots that explain that a bit more because there were a lot of scenes in this movie um, like the Muckmen scene which was highly edited and obviously terrible sound design put over it to make it just ridiculous and a lot of other scenes that the crew talked about much more interesting cinematography and shots and stuff that you just never saw or the spider woman scene where you never saw her final form yeah which they did make that's heartbreaking for a special effects artist to make such an elaborate and interesting creature and have it not be used. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. But that's also kind of the the way it goes, you know, where they put all of this craft into special effects. Some of it gets trimmed. Some of it mm. only ends up in six seconds worth of footage. And so that's kind of the way it goes. And it's so hard to tell with this movie because, you know, you watch the – there is a feature-length documentary on the making of mm. – and you can tell right away that there are some still very bitter grapes involved. 100%, yeah. And so you're kind of hard to tell how much is just different perspective versus how much is edited out. Because mm. these filmmakers, you know, a lot of the focus is on Brendan and Thomas. I don't think Eugenie is involved at all in this documentary. And so you can tell they're very, very angry. Um, but they also talk very highly of what their intent was. But intent and, like, execution are two different stories. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. and the reason why I think that maybe it's not a wholly accurate statement to be, like, it got edited out not just for their anger towards this project, but you look at the characters and this character bunch <laughs> do not fit together in any way. Like how on earth did yeah. this ragtag group get together and decide to go party? Like this doesn't make sense. And so that started with Brendan and Thomas, which makes you wonder yeah. how effective would their cut be, you know? Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I don't think the original intention was going to be an Oscar-winning movie oh, no, at no. all. Like, <laughs> even, yeah, the opening sequence with the, the friends in the car, like, even that is very... B grade, like you know, the car is not moving. You know, there's someone in the background just rocking the car back and forth because the background doesn't look like it's actually moving. No, at all. it's yeah. not. So, no. talk about poor man's process. Yeah. It's completely poor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, they go to this mansion and they have a party in inverted commoners because no one looks like they're having fun. No, uh, the music is so quiet that. <laughs> I mean, this is barely a, a soiree or a dinner party. This is, <laughs> this is very dull. So I don't think it was going to be an excellent film, but maybe <laughs> a step above what it ended up being. Yeah, a smidge, baby step yeah. probably, yeah. Yeah. Because that scene with that kid, Billy, just... What? <laughs> yeah. Well, that is shoot two, I think. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, the original gang of people. So I don't understand how a middle-aged couple 
a children's TV presenter with a hand puppet and a Travolta wannabe in a cast-off outfit from Michael Jackson's Beat It video ended up just cruising around looking for an abandoned house to have a quote-unquote party in. And as well as that, yeah, you're right. I mean, although some of the scenes are really poorly edited, like the scene where... I think the character Adrienne is attacked by what looks like a gremlin. It's so poorly edited that you can't even tell if there are two gremlins because you keep cutting to them and the eye lines are all wrong or the direction is wrong. And right, yeah. It's yeah. just bad, so maybe that's the editing. But then you see scenes like the poor man's process and, and when you hear them say, oh, we did these elaborate oneers where the camera was moving around and then you think of the scene early on when they're partying yeah. and the puppet guy is just like bumping into each of the couples in turn and if this is one of their examples of these fantastically elaborate one shots it's badly acted completely unconvincing and looks like something that children would do so yeah i'm not convinced that there is a hidden masterpiece in here <laughs> <laughs> no but they talk like they had that in mind and then so yeah it's a very inch and this is why the behind the scenes production makes for a far more interesting and coherent story <laughs> It does, yeah. And I think you're you're right, Megan, to highlight the lack of involvement of Eugenie Joseph in the documentary. I think it flashes up at one point an image of her and says, we tried multiple times to contact her, but she didn't want to be involved. So I sought out interviews with her and I managed to find one where she was being interviewed for another film that she'd made, Invasion of the Mindbenders. And Based on the documentary for Spookies, I'm imagining some Yoko Ono <laughs> figure, some evil, maniacal, power-hungry monster. Right. And she is just the loveliest, most soft-spoken, intelligent lady who now dedicates her life to therapy for veterans. Uh-huh. And is really pleased about the things that she did with low-budget movies and how much fun it was. And they did the best they could with the money they had had and it was a good time and just all enthusiasm and good intent yeah and so i can't reconcile that with the image of her that they portray in the documentary at all they mention the actress who was creon's victim uh, maria pachukas <laughs> She apparently had the best time and loved this movie and really wanted it to develop a cult following. And she passed away in 2017. But there's a whole segment about how her fellow actress on a different project, Debbie Rochon, was like, she loved it. She wanted this to be out in the world. So I'm super happy that you guys are doing this documentary about this movie. If she only knew that Brendan and Thomas and their their loyal cast and crew, I mean, they never once think about this producer that kind of essentially decided that Eugenie was more competent than they were is the picture I'm getting out of this. Yeah, Mm. exactly. So I think it's a a much more mixed and nuanced story than we're being presented. I think that's the case. (laughs) But it is definitely uh, dramatic. (laughs) Far more dramatic than, you know, the final product. Yes. I mean, the cast and crew do depict Jean Joseph as being sort of the evil replacement director, editor, but there are moments where you think, I think she did have best intentions. Like they talk about the Muckman scene and how the sound designer put all the fart sounds in. And she <laughs> she was completely against that scene and that sound and wanted to walk off the whole production. So I do feel like she did have best intentions, but the evil overlord Michael Lee looming <laughs> over seemed to have last say. Yeah. yeah. And he was the guy that I think one of the anecdotes they share is that he turned up on the set one day and said, good news, I can get a gorilla costume. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, great, why? Why do we want one? Uh got everything else why not yeah it couldn't pop up here and there yeah his idea of movie making was not great i don't think oh awful (laughs) i love that story where they were going on about the editing and how michael lee was saying oh this is too slow and it just had a person walking across a room he said just just cut out the middle bit and they were trying to explain to him, but it's going to look weird. It's going to look like it's jumped a frame. So they did it to show him, and he just thought it was fine. <laughs> but it yes. looks ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.
So I think we've established that there was a lot more enthusiasm than perhaps talent at work here. And that's true across both shoots. So even Eugenie Joseph's footage, I mean, the ending, I think I counted, was it five or six minutes of the Winona Ryder character? Um, just running around. Just running around, screaming, <laughs> being poured at by fairly unconvincing rejects from Michael Jackson's thriller. <laughs> just zombies tearing her clothes off. I don't think they want to eat her brains. I just think they want to destroy her white poofy dress. It really does. They ran out of story. They didn't have a story. I shouldn't say they ran out of a story. They didn't yeah. have one. <laughs> yeah. Um, because she's yeah. dead, from what I gather from the story, is, you know, this Creon is obsessed with his dead bride. They, she's been in a coffin for 70 years and she's waking up, but he's got his werecat pirate to help him yeah. keep track of her. <laughs> and she escapes. And so then he sends his hillbilly zombies to fetch her. Yeah. I'm thinking that that's what I, I got out of it. Yeah. And do they have a son who dresses either like a Jawa or an extra from Phantasm. Yes. Is that their son? Uh, is that what that is? I think. Um, at least they are all his children <laughs> is maybe the, the gist. All mm. of these monster babies are their ba I don't know. <laughs> but as a total aside, I saw this movie when I was a child and it had monsters in it. I didn't know what was going on, but it had monsters in it. So it was super fun which is my first encounter with this movie. And I had this tiny little action figure of like a purple robe, blue faced vampire holding a cat. And I was convinced it was from this movie my entire life. Oh. I only literally found out a few years ago <laughs> that it was not at all. It was, oh, right. okay. it was from like an early eighties anime. Right. So it's spookies did not have a merchandise line then. No, blew my little mind. <laughs> How did it not? I feel like that would be the takeaway. I mean, obviously it didn't have a following to get merchandise, but that would be the one thing that would make this movie right. make yes. sense. Having all the monsters. Yes. Merchandise yeah, sure. and action figures. Yeah. Happy meal toys. With yeah. backstories that you don't get in the actual feature yeah. by Hasbro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it feels almost as though it is aimed towards children, though. It's funny you say that because, I mean, even the title Spookies and the way that it flies into a skull that's serving as the dot over the top of the eye and you think, hang on, <laughs> is this a ripoff of Goonies or do they think it is? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's clearly how I ended up seeing it at way too young. And, mm. you know, I thought I just was too young to make sense of it. But Turns out, no. <laughs> I don't really know what the plan was. I and mean, that's probably the problem. Is It's just like, we're going to make Evil Dead. For kids. Mm, yeah, it did remind me a little bit of Monster Squad as well with the assortment of monsters. Ah, oh, see, I've never seen that. But less kids. Yeah. <laughs> it is a catchier name, though, than Twisted Souls. I feel like Spooky somehow fits it overall better than Twisted Souls. Yeah. Twisted Souls just reminds me of... Twisted Sister. So I, I think hair metal band when, <laughs> when I hear Twisted Souls. Yeah. Um, but the cast and crew, the original cast crew, don't ever mention Spookies. They always refer to it as Twisted Souls. So that I, I do feel there is a very deep-seated grudge there. Yes. Yeah. And they do mention that Michael Lee's suggestion for the title of the movie was Bowel Eruptor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, wow. this all goes back to the Muckmen, doesn't it? Oh, of course, <laughs> it really does. Bowel yeah. eruptor and farting Muckmen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Muckmen scene really was the moment when I just thought, "What the hell?" I know. <laughs> I've never seen such a misstep in terms of sound design. <laughs> I've just so bad. When you watch the documentary with the sound designer and he, he just goes on about making the fart noises by just like blowing on his arm and the <laughs> armpit thing, it's like, oh God, you're really not glamorizing sound design at all. Oh, no. No, there's an art form to it. That's not, yeah. And that's why you end up with spookies. Yeah. I mean, talking about sound for this movie, for me, it was just the worst. The sound was so 
unbalanced. Like the music was too loud. There were scenes where I wanted to hear sound and you couldn't hear the sound. And then other scenes like the Muckman scene where it was just the wrong choice altogether. And his interview, when he talks about like making all the goopy sounds and he, he just like lubes up his hand and gets a, a chicken and just fist fucks a chicken, his words, not mine. Oh my. And it's just, I don't know. He just seems like very inexperienced for the role. And it, he did mention he came from more of a porn movie background as well with sound. So I don't know. I'm not sure. But his best line that he says about the chicken, I don't condone fist fucking live chickens. No way. I sure <laughs> like, hope not. <laughs> I don't think anyone got that idea. <laughs> no. And it makes me think I'm really glad I've never seen any of the porn movies that he worked on. Oh, yeah. If those are the sorts of sounds that he's used to having to make, yeah, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, one of the best parts of this movie, I think, is the monster effects. Yeah. Yes. I know they're rubber suits and, you know. They're still fun. They're still fun and they're still creative. Absolutely. I mean, and they give you everything. And I think that's why I loved it as a kid is because it is a grab bag. I mean, mm. you don't understand why you're getting them, but there's so much variety. I mean, from, I thought they were little mermen, but apparently they're snake demons, the little puppet, hand puppets that attack. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's the obvious, the Grim Reaper statue thing that kind of reminds me of a Halloween store. Mm-hmm. You've got the arachnid. Uh, that has multiple stages of mm. of changing, and that's great. The transformation. There's yeah. like weird banshees in a cave that's like stop motion animated. There's you know the obviously we've talked about the farting muckmen. There's <laughs> the character who turns into a witch with a glowing skull. Mm-hmm. None of it makes sense, but it's very creative and very like robust in and how much creatures they're giving you. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And all the kill scenes are interesting. Yeah, they use stop motion in places, which is really good to see. Yeah. I love those scenes. Yeah, not so much on shoot two, I think. You know, some of those effects, not so great. The witch puppet that attacks Isabel, the dead wife character, it looks like something from the children's TV series Terror Hawks in the UK. Right. And what I love about that is actually on second viewing, because, yeah, uh, for research for this, (laughs) I watched it twice. (laughs) Um, You can clearly see the puppeteer in the bottom left hand of the frame. And he's there for ages and then just suddenly realises that he's in shot and comically ducks out. (laughs) So inept, the movie. So inept. Yeah, I mean, in terms of like production design for Inept, that Billy party scene, the birthday party where he goes into the room and all these balloons, but they're like half blown up and they're dangling from the ceiling instead of being filled with helium. It just, I don't know. It's just so hard to explain how terrible that scene is. <laughs> and when he gets buried alive by the henchman cat character, it's just excruciatingly slow like there's just not much dirt being piled on him and his death is just unexplainable and he's not even that not even covered with that much dirt (laughs) i don't know (laughs) nothing is explainable this is unexplainable and inexperienced the movie i mean and who who did the costume design because why is this werecat dressed like a pirate? <laughs> Why is one of the party goers dressed in, you know, a knockoff Michael Jackson costume <laughs> that does not fit? Like, and who decides to go cruising for a random place to have a party? Yeah. You know, I'm sure one of them had to have a house. Couldn't you have had these people? It's not like you're having a rager. I mean, <laughs> it's just one of those movies where every moment begets multiple questions <laughs> as to why any of this is happening. Mm, yeah. yeah. Why does Isabel climb down a trellis to escape the mansion rather than just walking out the front door? Yeah. Especially when she's wearing 70s white slingbacks. And mm. why is it upstairs? Because I thought for sure she was down below in a crypt. Yeah, that's true. The whole basement. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, geography, stage design, even movement. None, none of this is thought out. It was like... 
these people were really 15 deciding to make a film with mom and dad's camcorder, which would have kind of made more sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it would have been more endearing too. Yeah. The Creon character was the most baffling for me. I didn't even really understand his motives. Was he stealing life force from the party goers? Was he putting it into his bride? What? I think so. I didn't really understand what he was trying to do in the entire film. He plays chess. He has a weird German East (laughs) European accent that doesn't make any sense. And and there's a weird filter on his voice. So he sounds like he's talking through like a metal tube. (laughs) He sounds like a robot. Like it's just so strange, the choice for that effect. It's baffling. Absolutely every choice. I mean, they're choices. (laughs) They are choices. You can give them that much. Yes. I mean, it isn't boring. Yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And the music. I mean, you mentioned already, Dan, that you thought it was too loud. What did you guys think of the music overall? It was just present. (laughs) A lot of chimes and dings and, I don't know, a lot of metallic sounds, but nothing I could really remember. No, same for me. So it's James Calabrese and Kenneth Higgins. Um, those are not names that I've come across since. No, so. no, I don't. <laughs> there's not much to say. Like I, I just found it. Yeah, most of the time, just too loud. Like I couldn't really hear the dialogue in places, or there was just no sense of tension. Like you need to really take out music and have big stings uh, or big, loud jump scare stings to really be effective but there was none of that it was just it was present yeah <laughs> and that was it pretty much <laughs> i've nothing to <laughs> now it's time for random trivia okay dan what fascinating piece of trivia did you uncover during a reshoot right well watching the documentary a lot of uh illuminating facts about the movie there's one part of the film that really made me chuckle is when the actor Anthony Valbero that plays Dave is talking about a scene where his character and um, the Adrian character played by um, Charlotte Alexandra are running outside and they're sort of ducking and weaving. Uh, Supposedly (laughs) there was supposed to be uh, special effects of ghosts swooping in and um, sort of terrifying them but they never put that in so he describes it as, as I have seem to have Tourette's they're ducking and flinching at nothing at nothing and it's so funny to rewatch that scene <laughs> it is yeah and uh, the, the actor Anthony Valbiro Valbiro not quite sure how to pronounce that he's got a pretty good sense of humour about it in he the does. documentary because if you watch until the end of the credits he even recreates it for us yes he does yes he does <laughs> yeah 30 years on he does it again yeah <laughs> And that's our trivia. Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Movie Awards. It's the Movie Awards. It's where we present our favourite monster for every occasion in parts of the film in the number of where did these zombies come from categories. <laughs> Best quote. I don't know that I have a favorite quote. Um, I'm sure it has something to do with the reference to Mookie the puppet, because that guy loves to name drop his puppet Mookie. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And isn't he wearing a T-shirt that has him with the puppet Yes, on it? in case you forgot. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, well, mine comes from Adrienne. She's my favourite character. Right. She's like half of a beige power couple. I don't know why they're there either. Mm. But at one point, her husband, I think, David, is threatening to drink some alcohol that he's found on the floor in this decrepit, abandoned house. And she says, David, throw that shit away. And I thought, <laughs> yeah. If that's the pull-out quote for the front of this video, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And Dan? Yeah. Well, in terms of ridiculous characters and, and lines, um, there's one line when Linda says to Duke, so, and she says, come on, let's dance. And Duke just replies, no, 
leave me alone. I want to do nothing. It's like, <laughs> who says that at a party? I don't understand. <laughs> and he's the one who looks ready to party the most. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Unless that's his loungewear. I, d- <laughs> I don't understand. Best hair or costume? The knee-jerk reaction would be to nominate Duke, but oh, because I yeah. will forever be perplexed by this, it's got to be the were-cat pirate right. for me. Yes, yes. Nothing says henchmen so. like a pirate outfit. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yes. I love it. <laughs> He's wearing a gold lame waistcoat, cowboy spurs, uh, has a hook for a hand, and like a flouncy shirt. It's like the kid that couldn't decide which Halloween costume he was going to wear this year, so he kind of just rolled in all of them and just saw which stuck, you know. Mm. What a trendsetter. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I know. And he he has the vampire teeth that they never really talk about. Like, there are vampires in this movie and zombies and and just no explanation at all. No. 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 I mean, we haven't really described Duke's outfit. Is it PVC, rubber, some sort of shiny material with yeah. just latex zippers that oh, just gosh. crisscross it for, for no reason that don't have any function? Yes. <laughs> yep. Most 80s moment. The outfit. I mean, Duke, I think Duke for sure is like, if you ever want, because you have the bride who looks like she's from the 70s. Mm. <laughs> And then you've got the sweater-wearing couple, so I feel like Duke and his partner probably best show you. Really rich, I guess, could be, too, wearing a T-shirt of himself with his puppet. I mean, that the, the half of the partygoers, right. I think, really depict 80s. Uh-huh, yes, yes. How about you, Dan? Uh, I'm going to just go for the obvious, uh, the monsters, especially the snake demons, because... <laughs> Small creatures with animatronic moving parts. is It's 80s to a T. And I did really like it. I mean, it, it was confusing with whether there was one or two and where they were, but it, it really exuded that sort of 80s small creatures terrorizing people aspect. Yeah. Not many animatronics, though, it has to be said. I think... No. No. <laughs> there's like one or two... Things some in eye, eye movement. That's that's all I need. <laughs> Favorite scene. I think that it's going to be Rich encountering the Spider Woman. It's just mm, he slipped I'd right agree. out of uh, the movie he was in into a very different movie. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> The entire thing is just so bizarre, but it's well, you know, well done within the context of Spookies. It's fun. It's really fun. I like that scene a lot. Oh, yeah. The production yeah. design, it's, yeah, it is 100% from another movie. And you have the, <laughs> yeah. the Asian woman that you've never seen at all throughout the movie. And yeah, the transformation. And I know it, it's, it's a little bit hokey because you never actually see any on-screen transformation. It's always like, this is what she looks like now. Let's cut away. This is what she looks like now. Let's cut away. Yeah. So I know it's a little bit clumsy, but I, I did really love the sort of end result of the spider and, and the head like growing and all the little weird bladder bits and the, yep. the, the, the arms. Yeah, it was, it was a really standout moment for me. Yeah, me too. I thought that was a great scene. We've got to say something about the Muckman scene, though. And not just because it is just side-splittingly hilarious how bad the sound design, how how ill-advised the farting noises were. But I will actually give it chops for one thing, which is that the thing that kicks it off, which is that these hands burst out from the ground and mm. grab Linda, it really does misdirect you. It's actually a jump scare because mm, the dialogue is. completely misdirects you as to what is about to happen. And I thought, wow, an actually well-orchestrated horror moment. Well done. And then the farting. <laughs> Most cliche horror moment. Probably the nonsensical six-minute run in the woods of the bride tripping all over herself and screaming and getting pulled at. I feel like that was so 
I mean, besides not having a point, it was definitely cliche. Yes. <laughs> it was just, just cut out of any zombie movie ever made, pretty much. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Insert damsel in distress here. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, horror cliche for me, uh, the Ouija board that unleashes evil on everyone. If you have a Ouija board, it's evil in every horror movie ever made. <laughs> and I love how they redesigned yep. it because of copyright issues. Because <laughs> Ouija is, is a board yeah. game, isn't it? It's It's been trademarked. <laughs> but, I mean, has I feel like you could get away with it. You know, like... Um, Amityville 3D. I think they literally wrote out the alphabet on slips of paper and tore it out and used a glass. And I think that that uh. was a, a way to... This doesn't... If they didn't tell me it was a Ouija board, I never would have guessed it was a Ouija board. Neither. <laughs> Neither. Best special effect. It's got to be the spider lady, hasn't it? Yeah, I would say that. Yeah. 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 I mean, they were really well designed, different stages, and you saw the head change shape and bits of it opened. And, mm, yeah, mm. I thought it was a really good effect. Yeah. And those guys have gone on to, you know, long and storied careers in various horror properties that mm. absolutely everyone would recognize. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Favorite sound effect. There's only one sound effect to talk about in this movie, and it's not because it was good, but it was certainly memorable, which is all the farting. Yeah. There is one sound that precedes that scene. So I think it is in the same scene as when uh, Duke is, is adjusting the light bulb. And it's the weirdest electrical sound. It's like a ch uh, I don't know. It doesn't sound like what it's supposed to sound like. And he adjusts the light bulb again and there's no sound. So it's like What's happening? not even continuity. <laughs> <laughs> Most funniest moment. I feel like it's definitely going to be the initial party. Not not the, the children opening birthday party, but when they get together <laughs> and it's just this bizarre, awkward, like you drove out in the middle of nowhere, crashed a house for this and you know, yeah. just bumping yeah. into everybody. Like that kind of weird party introduction exposition is definitely humorous not intentionally yes. but yeah mm. yeah it's it's bizarre yep. it really doesn't portray a real party whatsoever in terms of other funny scenes of course the muckman scene that's a given but the the grim reaper scene where he falls <laughs> off the roof and just yeah. explodes <laughs> into flames <laughs> i don't what <laughs> you mean that's not normal? Well. <laughs> I mean, maybe if he hit a car. Oh, only if he hits a yeah. car, of course. <laughs> I mean, if, he, if he'd hit a car, I'd, I'd completely believe it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The thing that made me roar with laughter, it, it, I think it is, uh, is it earlier on in the Grim Reaper scene? I think Duke gets killed with one scythe swipe, which is mm. really disappointing. You never see him again, so I presume that, that he's dead. Yes. And the middle-aged guy suddenly decides that the way out of this situation is just to pitch headfirst through a door. <laughs> oh, a closed yes. door. Yes. Yes. And he he breaks through it. So, I mean, hats off to the guy that looked like he was ready to go to bed with his cocoa cuz mm. I love he he, he precedes it as well by just yelling door. <laughs> And just launches himself <laughs> through it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Mm. Makes no sense at all, but yeah. Yeah, that's the winner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, and that's our Mubly Awards. It is. Hi, I'm Janik, and I'm Jean Philippe from La Matos, and you're listening to Movie Oubliettes. Yes, it's final verdict time. Should Spookies be set free from its haunted, cursed house to swoop invisibly at characters <laughs> and be enjoyed by all, or should it be thrown off a roof and exploded and shoved into the oubliette <laughs> to be lost forever? <laughs> Megan, you have introduced us to this gem of a movie. What's your, what's your final verdict? Should people watch this movie? I mean, I I have a lot of thoughts 
on this because <laughs> if you watch it, um, you really need the complimentary like feature documentary to kind of understand it. And I think as more of a cautionary tale, um, <laughs> if you want to, if you're an aspiring filmmaker and you are just starting out, I want to say that this shouldn't be forgotten because you need this in your life to know what not to do. It's an entire mm. movie of what not to do. Uh, and it also is very entertaining despite itself. Um, but <laughs> I'm thinking it probably is best forgotten. Mm. Yeah. I, I would agree 100% on, on all of those um, elements. The movie should be paired with the documentary. You can't watch the movie and not the documentary. It, it explains so much about how how much of a car crash this movie is. It There's just not a single... <laughs> I mean, apart from some of the creature effects, there, is, there really isn't a single scene that makes any sense at all. But, yeah, it is a bit enjoyable in terms of the so bad it's, it's good aspect of the film, but I don't know whether I would openly recommend this to most people unless you watch a documentary as well. No, I think you're both absolutely right. I mean, <laughs> we often come to the conclusion that even bad movies are worth watching because you get to learn about why they are bad. But in this case, yeah, I don't think this isn't so much a cautionary tale as it's something that you should put cones around <laughs> and just warn yeah. everybody as a <laughs> as a hazard that just must be avoided at all costs. As you say, unless you really do watch the documentary that goes with it. And if you're going to do that, I really would recommend watching the film first and going in cold mm. and then watching the documentary to figure out what the hell just happened. Yeah. But uh, in terms of would I stop someone on the street and say, <laughs> your life is incomplete without spookies. <laughs> I can't in all good conscience say yes, I, I can't. So I think it's got to go back in there for another 70 years. <laughs> if anything, just I want to avoid anything with Michael Lee's name on it because yeah. he definitely has no idea about filmmaking. <laughs> no. So I'm sorry, you're going back in there with Creon's Bride, Spookies. Is not a skin? Down you go. And stay down. Well, despite everything, that was an enormous amount of fun, Megan. So thank mm -hmm. you so much for suggesting this movie <laughs> to us. I do love that you were like, I would not recommend this to anybody. And I've inflicted it upon you. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming back and being gracious enough to shepherd us through this traumatic experience. <laughs> I'm sure everyone has enjoyed hearing your thoughts on the movie. Where can people follow you and read more of your thoughts on film? I obviously you can find me at Bloody Disgusting. Um, I am on Twitter at Haunted Meg, and uh, I can also be found weekly at uh, the Bloody Disgusting podcast at Be Disgusting Pod, where we just kind of walk you through what we've been watching, what the news is of the week, and what the new releases are. So yeah, yeah, great, highly recommended. Yes. So listeners, if you want to keep up with us, you can follow us on all our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as Movie Oubliette. Yes, and you can email us at movie.oubliette at gmail.com. Yes, please tell us how, how much you adore this movie, Spookies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or explain it to us, either one. <laughs> yes. Happy to hear from you on both of those topics. And if you'd like to support us, then please head on over to Patreon, where for as little as a dollar you can nominate and vote on movies for us to cover in future. And also, why not get hold of our merchandise? We are on Redbubble. You can get an assortment of different items for your household. <laughs> but no cummerbunds. No, not yet. <laughs> no. So, Conrad, our next episode is for Halloween. What are we going to be doing? Well, we're going to be doing one of the newest films that we've ever covered. It's the 2014 found footage supernatural horror film, The Taking of Deborah Logan. Mm, uh -huh. I have seen this movie. Uh, I have not. And we will be joined by the star of that film, Michelle Ang. One of the stars. I think it is more of a 
Ensemble. An ensemble. Yeah. Yeah. You're but right. uh, yes, very excited to chat with her about the film. Yes. So looking forward to that. In the meantime, it's been wonderful chatting with you again, Megan. Thanks for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again, listeners, for joining us. Tune in for our Halloween episode with Michelle Ang. It's going to be scary. Yeah. Bye for now. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye bye. <laughs> Oh, God, what am I lying on?